0: And I'm Chris, and this
1: is Eggs and Espionage, The Origins of James Bond. What's, what's the dog's name? Carl. I'm going to have to start crediting him on the podcast. I, I just went in the other
0: room before we started and I cursed him out. I was like, listen up, you little fucking dog. You better stop squeaking that fucking toy. And he just looked at me, wagged his tail, and squeaked some more. I don't think he understands. He either doesn't understand or doesn't care what I'm saying. <laughs>
1: sounds, like, sounds like most people in your life, man.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just another student. <laughs> Chapter four.
1: Do you want to let Carl read the summary?
0: Yeah, Carl, you read. You read, Carl squeak squeak chapter number 4 the big switchboard after the fbi men leave with the small bomb bond wipes off the smoke on the wall and calls room surface to clean up the broken glass he finishes dressing and spends the morning on 5th avenue practicing his american cover once people stop noticing him he decides he is ready he eats lunch At glory fried ham and eggs, then meets Felix and Dexter at police headquarters, where they note the comings and goings of Mr. Big's yacht, the Cicada. It does business in Saint Petersburg, Florida, with Ouroboros Inc., delivering conch shells from Jamaica. When the FBI had eavesdropped on it, the ship's operator had been speaking voodoo. A police lieutenant offers to pull in Mr. Big on trumped-up charges and beat him. Not because he's black, of course, but because he's a socialist. Felix sees the problem and waves him off. Do you want to start a race riot, he asks. It matters that Mr. Big is black. As they leave, Dexter gives them new orders to check out the yacht in Florida. They will leave the next day. It's not too soon for Bond, who's aching to be reunited with British style in Jamaica, but he wants to check out Harlem first. Dexter agrees provided they don't cause too much trouble. After Bond and Leiter make up plans to meet in the King Cole Bar of the St. Regis, Bond goes back to his room to take a nap. And as Bond naps, Harlem wakes. The tale flashes to a dimly lit operator's room where one of Mr. Big's henchmen, Whisper, waits. A light flashes on. It's the boss's line. Whisper receives orders to alert all eyes to the possibility of Leiter and Bond's arrival. He passes on their description and orders that they not be hurt. Later, Bond wakes, dresses smartly in the American fashion, except, of course, for his steel-toed English loafers, which he hid from the FBI. He lovingly preps his pistol and considers and disregards, using makeup to hide his scar. Then meets Leiter in the bar for an American gin martini. It tastes harsh, and Bond decides to exercise caution in his drinking. A first. Bond is thinking about the night ahead, its crass bars and possible dangers. He stares north through the rain as they wait for a bus, and wonders about Mr. Big. You know, Mr. Big was the name of the love interest in Sex in the City.
1: <laughs> oh. a, lot of, a lot of prep work going on in this... In this chapter, right? Setting the scene for Bond's trip up to Harlem.
0: Right. Especially because we've already established that his cover is
1: blown. Cover's done. Yeah, we just came out of chapter three where a bomb went off in his room. If they wanted to annihilate him, they could have put a strong enough dynamite in there. And he would have died. They put in a little note. Uh, And that's kind of where the chapter opens, right? So so Dexter and his colleague leave. They take the bomb with them, I guess, to
0: examine the, the evidence
1: bond rubs off some of the smoke marks on the wall he's a, he's so, a good tenant and then he rings so, up the waiter and Fle- as fleming puts it without explanation told him to put the broken glass on his check and clear away the breakfast things then he takes his coat hat goes out on the street
0: but how awesome and casual is that like he's like he's like having this guy clean up the remnants of a bomb attack in his room along with the breakfast things yeah Someone tried to murder me and I finished breakfast. So can you clean up those uh those things together? Then? Yeah.
1: Sorry I broke every glass in the room. Don't worry about why, just put it on my bill.
0: I know there's shards of glass sticking out of the wall. I tripped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he he gets out of the hotel, he goes on to Fifth Avenue, he wanders around shopping all morning.
1: Does a little window um, I, shopping, yeah.
0: Basically his whole Point is to try to learn how to be an American, and he tries to mirror everyone's mannerisms.
1: Because what until... better way than to walk up and down Fifth Avenue, New York?
0: You're gonna, you're gonna get the Main Street vibe right there. <laughs> Main Street vibe.
1: <laughs> Probably not a, an American to be found there, unless they're you know, working
0: tourists and millionaires shopping.
1: The hotel, as we know, he got some eggs and bacon there. But then he goes into this restaurant, glory fried ham and eggs. With the quote, the eggs we serve tomorrow are still in the hens."
0: <laughs> That's nice.
1: But basically his whole point is to go down to the NYPD and see what, what the New York Police Department have on this Mr. Big character. You know, when he's talking about Mr. Big, he says, uh, well, you want him to take him down to the tombs, we'll give him the works? The feds won't do it, we'd be glad to oblige. Right? I know. I love that. The- we'll just pull him
0: in, we'll beat the shit out of him. And then Dexter... <laughs> chips in. Do you want a race riot? Objected Dexter sourly. If he wasn't sprung in half an hour by that black mouthpiece of his, those voodoo drums would start beating from here to the deep south. When they're full of that stuff, we all know what happens. Remember 35? 43? 43? You'd have to call in the militia. It's such a testament to the rampant abuse of power. Referring to two other giant race incidents. Yeah. But the New York police chief doesn't care. He's like, I'm going to pull in this black guy and beat the shit out of him for no legal reason.
1: Uh, why not? <laughs> why don't we pull him in on tax evasion, a misuse of the mails, a parking in front of the hydrant or something? Right, which, is, which...
0: You know, they meet up with the FBI down there, and but mostly they don't even look at anything in New York City. They're looking at, like, Florida concerns, like, with his ship.
1: Because they got to make sure that Bond has an actual purpose for being here, which is the Jamaica connection, so... Mm-hmm. I think that yeah, he's not really learning much new about Mr. Big, right? He got the briefing from M, gets the briefing from Dexter. Now the NYPD goes over, and he's kind of he's kind of frustrated that he's not learning anything new about this guy.
0: Right, but he's got new orders. He's going to go down to Florida, um, and check out the boat.
1: Uh, Dexter does um, give Bond some very good advice, advising him to uh, not get hurt.
0: Yeah, I mean, and then they basically they set up the. They're just like they have like no real purpose for this. Except they just want to, like, look
1: bon at wa- him. Bond wants to get a feel for the Harlem lifestyle, man. He wants to... What and it really
0: comes down to it is Fleming just wants to take you on a little magic carpet ride.
1: To Harlem. Dexter warns Bond that there's no one up there to help you. Right, so don't go stirring up trouble. This case isn't ripe. Until it is. And this is the big joke of the book, right? He says, our policy with Mr. Big is live and let live. Bond look quizzically at Captain Dexter. And he says... When I come up against a man like this one, I'll have another motto. It's live and let die. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. so hacky, man. It is. And um, Dexter shrugged his shoulders. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but you're under my orders here, Mister Bond. I'll be glad if you accept that. So yeah,
0: they, that's it. They set up. They're gonna go. They're gonna go for like a ramp rumpus up, um, up in the. Harlem area, Bond goes home to take a nap at the St. Regis. Leiter is going to meet him at the King Cole Bar, which I took some look at. It's actually a beautiful cocktail bar still in operation
1: in New York. Is so, it really? Oh, yeah. That's oh, cool. A, well, the St. Regis is still operation. Well, that King I knew, Cole yeah. Cole is, is still... I, I did look up rooms at the St. Regis were, like, at the bottom end, 850 a night. Yeah. Uh, but there's some great, great descriptions of the cab, Climbs into the overheated tin box reeking of last week's cigar smoke. Um, but then
0: what I love, and this gets down to like the genius of the time, um, the technology of the time, which just so goddamn far off of anything we deal with anymore. I feel like most people are fully unaware anymore of this. Like anyone who's born our age or like after, the switchboard. It's all about the switchboard. Yeah. Right. Mr. Big owns his own switchboard. That means he has like control of like all these phones, like, like all the communication in Harlem is linked through his network. So he has his own guys running a switchboard. Right. So he can listen in on everything.
1: Yeah. Unbelievable. That's intense, man. Which is
0: super ironic because he makes the operator whisper the guy who, well, he
1: had to whisper.
0: Who had pneumonia, yeah. like, or had, like, a, a, he had tuberculosis or something, and, like, he, his lungs don't work anymore. He cannot speak at full volume. Right. He's the guy you have on the phone all the time. He had tuberculosis, basically.
1: Was born on, quote, lung block on 7th Avenue at 142nd Street, where death from TB is twice as high as anywhere in New York. I wonder if that's true. I should have uh, should looked that up. But basically, only had part of one lung right. left. Is that going to be a problem, though? What better job for him to have? He can sit there in the room and just I talk like this. I don't the anything. He was what? born on... I what do, did you say? <laughs> Operator, say that again. Huh? You're whispering. I can't hear you. I'm on
0: the street right now. It's loud. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, all I mean, what you get there is that Mr. Big, yeah, he's got this massive operation. He's got people, like, on every street corner in Harlem called the Eyes. Right? And whenever the eyes see something, they call into the switchboard. They let the whisperer know. The whisperer phones up Mr. Big and tells him the news. Yep. Yeah. So six in the evening, Bond wakes up refreshed, takes another cold shower. You know how much he loves his cold showers. And dressed... Keeps ca- him alert. I like that he dressed, quote, carefully. Go ahead.
0: Dressed very American. He can't, like, let anyone know that he's actually English. So he has to dress very carefully. Uh, He puts
1: on his garishly striped tie. Fleming really leans into uh, American fashion in this one and allowed the broad edge of the bandana to protrude from his breast pocket. Picks his pair of moccasin casuals. He felt their toes and weighed them in his hand. Then he reached under his bed and pulled out a pair of his own shoes. He carefully kept out of the suitcase, full of his belongings the FBI had taken away. Uh, Under the leather, there were toe caps with steel. This is like the first sign of like bond tech outside of his gun put in yeah,
0: steel steel tip loafers
1: the right.
0: height of spy tech in 54 always and he had to
1: hide it. it from the fbi the fbi would have taken these away so it's they were tip. too english you, were know too
0: how, you know how you know people are always looking at shoes and going everyone out there in harlem is, is sherlock holmes and can identify every pair of shoes by their origin
1: and felix comes in and his uh His mop of a straw-colored hair was now jet black, and he wore a dazzling blue suit with a white shirt, black and white polka dot tie. He's dazzling.
0: Looking sharp with his new hair color. And that is what's interesting. He says, quote, I suddenly decided to take these people seriously um, and change his hair color up, change his identity so that he could romp us up there without being known. What I do like is that he didn't... um, tell Bond that he was going to take him seriously, so Bond is still kind of half-assing it. (laughs)
1: Uh, (laughs) And so what do they sit down at the King Cole bar? Leader orders a medium-dry martini with slice of lemon peel. He stipulated House of Lords gin and Martini Rossi. The American gin, a much higher proof than the English gin, tasted harsh to Bond. I have a hard time believing that Bond was like, whoa, there's a little too much alcohol going on in here, you know?
0: I mean to to be fair, I would probably agree with him. I I would say that English had like the gin thing on lockdown. So I think he's just talking shit about uh, English or American, American gin.
1: gin. But Bond reflects probably for the only time he's ever reflected that he would have to be careful what he drank this evening.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's that's not a common sentiment for the for this character, And so that, what's great is that Leiter gets a drink in him and he starts in with that old-school Texas-style racism. You know, I'm just going to read the whole thing go and then it. I'm just going to curse a little bit. Um, we'll have to keep on our toes where we're going, said Felix Leiter, echoing his thoughts, Bond's thoughts. Harlem's a bit of a jungle these days. People don't go up there anymore like they used to. Before the war, at the end of an evening, one used to go up to Harlem just as one goes to Montmartre in Paris. They were glad to take one's money. One used to go to the Savoy Ballroom and watch the dancing. Perhaps pick up a high yaller and risk the doctor bills afterwards. Now that's all changed. Harlem doesn't like being stared at anymore. um. So I'm going to stop there. What? But what like, is a high yaller? What is a high yaller? Right, that is the straight, like... <laughs> I'm going to break it down for you. High yaller means it comes from, like, an old school word. It means half yellow. Oh, jeez. Um, and so it's a mulatto, like... I'm going to go pick up a light skinned black girl. But since all black girls are disease ridden, you're going to get the doctor bills afterwards. Like that that's more or less what he's saying.
1: Right. And we'd like to specify we're we're being ironic there. We're not.
0: <laughs> I'm just reading lighters. I'm reading into lighters words. Absolutely.
1: And we haven't even finished the paragraph. <laughs> There's still another half of it. The rest
0: of it goes back to this idea that Harlem doesn't like to be stared at anymore. Yeah, that's. It's pretty pretty stark stuff. It's very. You have to remember, Texas uh, Lighter's from Texas, and Texas is southern culture. For guy,
1: for guy from Texas, he certainly liked to go to Harlem. Apparently,
0: he says, "Fortunately, I like the Negroes, and they know it somehow." (laughs) And then he goes on <laughs> to describe himself as like an aficionado of black culture. And like, he's like, it's all cool. Like all the black people like me.
1: Wrote a few pieces on Dixieland jazz for the Amsterdam News for one of the local papers. He uh, nope. he likes to write a little but He dabbles, da- he dabbles, dabbles in, <laughs> in literary
0: criticism of Dixieland jazz. But he did a little literary criticism, too, because he also wrote about Orson Welles' quote all the, negro cast
1: that's right
0: um did orson welles actually what? cast like an all-black cast if I make
1: that there is one way to find out we could do oh, the eggs down, and espionage man. extensive research i don't even know if you can probably put this line in better context but he ends that tirade with uh and i admire the way they're getting on in the world though god knows i can't see the end of it what the fuck does that even mean and then what do you mean I can't see the end? Can't see the end of what? The way they're getting on in the world? And then, of course, they pay their check, and leader says, of course, there are some bad ones, some of the worst anywhere. Harlem's the capital of the Negro world. In any half a million people of any race, you'll get plenty of what, stinkeroos. Stinkeroos. They call them stinkeroos. So anyway, they get on a bus on Fifth Avenue, and Bond felt strong and compact and confident. The evening awaited him to be opened and read page by page, word by word. And then chapter five, dude. I
0: know. So this is where you get to that point in any reading. I read with my students. I read books like um, To Kill a Mockingbird, right? And I read Roll of Thunder Hear My Cry. And those books are about old school, southern style you know, post-Reconstruction racism. And when you get into that, like, you do not escape the N-word. It is everywhere. So when Mildred Taylor writes, Will Thunder, Hear My Cry, like, she writes the N-word. Um, when, when Harper Lee writes To Kill the Mockingbird, she writes the N-word. I mean, that's how people spoke in that time and place. Doesn't make it easy to read aloud the words that, you, you know, ever. But... I think it's important that if you're reading from a text, you, you read the words.
1: The name Preamble of the chapter— Preamble chapter
0: 5 is literally called Nigger Heaven.
1: Nigger Heaven.
0: That's what Ian Fleming wrote. That's what he's calling Harlem.
1: So it's, kind of, it's offensive in not only just using the M word, but calling I mean, it heaven as if this idea that it's a utopia of that, that they all wanted to be in it.
0: If it was a utopia, it was you know not by choice that they made it one. It was by— Correct. A, by dealing and like so much of the black experience in america is dealing with the making the best out of what what you can um
1: just unfortunately just to keep prefacing this this chapter similar to like how mark twain used to write in to create his characters and would use so there's a lot of writing in a way that's supposed to mimic how how one might talk were they african-american right and i've been
0: thinking a lot about that because it's It's a perspective thing, right? It's like a power thing to say, you sound weird. Yeah. This is how you sound, and it's weird. Your words are wrong, and they're mispronounced, and they sound like this. But my words, I'm just going to write the way the English language decrees. I'm going to write
1: grammatically, right.
0: Standard grammatical English. British English. But both of them sound goddamn hella different. Right. You got Texas and I don't even know. England has Some like Chelsea, seven Chelsea, recognized London, dialects. Right. Like, right. so who knows what Bond's like actual one is? Like, right. grew up in like he went to like Eton, so it's definitely an upper crust one. But then you have the Southern draw, and both of them are written the same. And of yeah. course,
1: when they go up to Harlem,
0: everybody sounds like everybody a sounds different. Character. Um, I think it's also good to just throw in the preamble that there are words in this, you know, in this book that, like, Negro is used commonly.
1: Very commonly. And
0: nigger is used sometimes. And when those words are, are, when we say them, like, it is direct quotes. Chapter 5. Nigger Heaven. Uptown at a bus stop on the corner of 5th and Cathedral, three bored, wet black men are still on the watch. Yo, next, Fatso, said one as the northbound bus sighs to a stop in the rain. I'm tired, he replies, nonetheless boarding the bus, immediately alert to the two white men. Fatso sits behind Bond and Lighter, casually examining them in the window reflection. One man tall and dark-haired doesn't fit the description of Lighter, but the other, with that thin scar across his right cheek, It must be Bond. He disembarks at the next stop and phones it in. Whisper and Mr. Big use the switchboard to make plans. Meanwhile, Bond and Leiter make their way to Sugar Rays on 7th Avenue and 123rd, the club of the legendary boxer. It was a practice stop to get the feel for Harlem, and both Bond and Leiter were feeling like outsiders. It made them oblivious to all the eyes watching them. They sat in a booth, ordered a Hague-on-Hague pinch bottle, and eavesdropped on the locals. Bond declares that he's got the gist of the Harlem accent and notes that black people have the same interests as everybody else, sex. Later, Humble brags that he understands the scene in Harlem a little better and that black people do love him. They pay the check and ask about Mr. Big, but the waiter refuses to say a word. Next, they go out into the hostile cold and receive nasty stares. Walking up the avenue, the Bond notices the local economy thrives on beauticians, haberdashers, and a few very specific bookshops, not to mention the occasional occult vendor. They choose a place called Ma Frazier's further up the avenue for dinner. Later, says it's the best in Harlem. Again, the waiter, the waiter won't talk about Mr. Big, so they depart. Afterwards, they hit the Savoy Ballroom, where loud jazz plays and beautiful women dance. Bond is enraptured, and Leiter needs to pull them away. Then they hit Yeah Man on 7th, before heading over to Mr. Big's strip club, the Bone Yard, where a $200 tip finally reveals Mr. Big would be that evening. As Bond and Leiter head towards the club, Mr. Big phones ahead with their reservation. They're to be given Table Z, and very special treatment.
1: Nicely done.
0: The eyes, Mr. Big's henchmen are waiting and watching.
1: For for all their worth, he doesn't recognize Leader, right? The the black hair throws no, him off. No, because
0: Leader changed his hair, yeah. like, because he was going to take them seriously. And Bond, like, he didn't say anything to Bond, so but Bond it, has that thin scar across his face. That which, of which, course, how
1: would he have covered that anyway?
0: covergirl they actually talked about it in chapter he's like we were experimenting with makeup but like oh, i'm not gonna try that hard
1: <laughs> and apparently it's such a big scar he sees it in just the glass right it's like the reflection in the glass he's sitting on the bus
0: yeah exactly and then they call it in and mr biggs got it like five minutes after they yeah. enter harlem
1: calls him the limey with the scar got a friend with him but he don't seem to fit the dope on the other two
0: that nonsense aside what's cool though is that they go to sugar rays and sugar rays The Sugar Ray Robinson was a heavyweight champion boxer. That's right. And when he retired from boxing, he opened a club in Harlem. And, like, it's actually part of the Harlem Renaissance. And it lasted for a bunch I don't remember when it closed down, but it lasted for a bunch of years. And it's actually seemed like a pretty awesome establishment. And I think Fleming just wanted to name drop a little bit there.
1: Oh, for sure. Well, to Fleming's credit, he uses a lot of actual places. Right, like it, it was is, almost it like, like almost like he's trying to prove how well he knows New York in this novel.
0: Exactly, like this Harlem history. So, he goes up to Sugar Ray's and they order Hagen Hake pinch Hague bottle, Hague, which, which that was like the type of bottle that they served this this scotch in, or they delivered the scotch in before nineteen fifty four. It's actually how they date Hagen Hake bottles.
1: Oh, interesting. The Pinch
0: bottle was a pre nineteen fifty four bottle and then after 54 they switched over so it's and bond like reflects the, the once trans. again
1: just like he did on the uh strata cruiser right landing in Ida wild he reflects it isn't a bad life when it consists of sitting in a comfortable bar drinking good whiskey hey but then leader says how do you like this corner of the jungle
0: <laughs> god yeah leader just
1: just listen to the couple behind you and i'm and that mm. starts a really otherwise useless conversation between a black man and his presumably girlfriend or mistress or wife something like that they don't say
0: nonsensical conversation you could have but in any bar anywhere between anybody but it it just seems more pointed in this situation
1: it i i mean if if i'm giving fleming the benefit of the doubt it's just further to kind of Explain the scene maybe to those readers who've never been to Harlem or potentially have never even interacted with someone of African descent, right? Maybe he's just further trying, but otherwise it doesn't really move the story along. It's just like three pages of these two people talking in, you know. uh, And let's
0: take this moment to remember that while England condemns slavery in its own uh, national boundaries very early on. Mm-hmm. The English economy profited enormously yeah. from the transatlantic slave trade. Correct. They started um, it in the first place. But here's what I pisses know. me off in this bullshit. So Fleming's talking about Bond noting the, um, so it's this, you know, this well-dressed young black man and his girlfriend are like hanging out in the booth or whatever. And Fleming's describing how this guy looks and he's talking about his hair and quote bond took the artificial parting trace through the razor across the left side of the scalp through the almost straight hair which was a tribute to his mother's constant application of the hot comb since childhood i don't fully understand what that means um,
1: but i do not enjoy when so there's if you watched uh there's a great documentary on sam cook on netflix right now and One of the parts they talk about how he was one of the first African-American entertainers who stopped teasing his hair back, right? So naturally Mm -hmm. nappy hair, but in the 50s, many African-American men and women had to straighten it and kind of part it so it essentially looked more like a white person's hair. So that's what they're talking about, the hot comb. He's teasing the naps out of the hair. Yeah. That's what they're referring to. That's fucked up. But Bond does notice his plain black silk tie and the white shirt were in, quote, good taste. Yeah. Opposite, leaning forward, and then he really goes into the the female, right? Concern on her pretty face was a sexy little negress. Mm. I know. All that Bond Uh... could see of her clothes was the bodice of a black satin evening dress, tight and revealing across the firm, small breasts. She wore a plain gold chain around her neck and a plain gold band around each thin wrist. You know? With a touch of white blood in her, her jet that's black hair. That's the part
0: that fucking is so How does he even gross. tell that?
1: It's like with Leshiv, no, where He's like, oh, he had that. small earlobes. He must be Jewish.
0: But it's that's the kind of racism we're talking about. It's like, she's sexy because she has a touch of white blood in her. Mr. Big is a successful black criminal because he's also half french like i feel like that's the bullshit that we're dealing with it's like they throw that shit in to like validate like any compliment that they're throwing out there right and that's what's fucking disgusting about it
1: pleading anxiously and paid no heed to bond's quick embracing glance but then he
0: what he quotes her saying this this uh black woman but he has this woman saying hi y'all are also which i thought was interesting uh, well it kind of normalizes uh, self, it right so yeah right like that's it like i'm gonna may have you say it so it's okay that i'm saying it
1: some of the words that i underlined that were like, maybe people did talk like this but i feel like it was almost over the top was like perzacly i'm gonna go out on limb and say nobody ever actually said perzacly
0: Per-zac- but
1: basically this guy thinks his girl's like cheating on him because she knows about right doesn't like she knows the mater d at some place and he lets her mm. in, so this guy assumes that yeah. he's che- She's cheating on him,
0: which could be anybody's fucking petty bullshit. Like so, exactly. Whatever. It just and then he threatens to beat her if
1: he threatens to beat her if she flirts with the mater d at all. So he's like, "Fine, we'll go. If I catch you doing anything funny, I'm I'm gonna quote Brock, whoop the hide off in yo sweet ass." Yep.
0: It's
1: quality quality literature from Fleming right here. Show ting, show ting, honey. And she's like, yep, sounds good. That sounds ideal. No, she said "Shouting."
0: He wrote Shoting. <laughs> so that's the rant about language. Let's
1: not talk about language anymore because we've ranted on that for like quite. And Bond. Yeah. So, and bon so they finish bon finally drinks gets down to drinks. And Bond's like, hey, by the way, the night's on me, leader, because I brought 300 bucks, which is roughly, which is like $100. around $3,000 $3, in today's money. No big deal. We gave you ten grand to spend. Yep. And
0: then they try to ask the waiter at Sugar Ray's um, about Mr. Big, and the dude's terrified. His first response, I got a wife and kids, boss. Yeah, right. So, you know,
1: Mr. Big's got everyone terrified because he's just straight murdering people, weeding by murder. Well, it's hard to not talk about race and racism in this chapter, but... I guess they leave the place and, you know, they walk past a couple people and, and Bond's reflecting and it says, Bond suddenly felt the force of what Leader had told him. They were trespassing. They just weren't wanted. Bond felt the uneasiness that he had known so well during the war when he had been working for a time behind enemy lines. I circled like three times they just weren't wanted because it's... Imagine how every African-American person must have felt everywhere outside of Harlem... Right? When they're walking through places that says, like, you're not even allowed in here and stuff like this. Yeah. So for Bond to even sit there, they be like, boy, this feels uncomfortable.
0: Because of your hatred.
1: Exactly. And ignorance. Because
0: you went to Eaton based on your family's fortune that they made when they were transporting Africa to America. Of course you're trespassing, you piece of shit.
1: Yeah. Um, so anyway, they walk so, up the avenue to Ma Fraser's.
0: They go to Ma Frazier's. Ma is like straight-up soul food. Was um, that a real
1: place? I don't, It doesn't look like it It wasn't. Anymore.
0: I looked it up already, okay. and it didn't seem like it was a real place. So he's just grabbing a mm-hmm. random thing that sounds like a soul food place, calling it the best in Harlem. Then they're eating some food there and moving on to the he rest was, of their night.
1: Bond was struck by the number of barber saloons and beauticians. Right? That's the thing. Right. They pass a bookstore... Seven Keys to Power. I meant to look up if that book exists. But what they what he says about
0: the bookstore is telling also is that it's all educational literature. Quote, how to learn this, how to do that, and comics. Which I find very strange. Seven and, keys to power.
1: Clermont or Louis de Clermont.
0: hmm It's and that's the other part, is the occult. You know, he's attributing that black culture is more keen on the occult. And voodoo—that's an essential element of this book. He's saying Mr. Big has has coalesced his power in Harlem by saying he is the Baron Samedi uh, voodoo lore, when in fact he coalesced his power by murdering everybody. It did not matter what Mr. Big said, because he was murdering everybody. He could say he was the fucking king of the lollipop guild and been murdering <laughs> everybody and they would have all been afraid of the
1: lollipop exactly guild. Like, that's thing it's <laughs> like the murder it's not the voodoo that's really the scary part bon bon compares it to the celts but argues that one can almost hear the drums in harlem so but anyway they get to ma frazier's which was a quote cheerful contrast to the bitter streets they had an excellent meal of little neck clams and fried chicken maryland with bacon and sweet corn Soul Food Central here, right? Uh, we got to have it, so leader, it's the national dish. They go to the Savoy Ballroom after dinner, have a scotch soda, so it's got to be, like, 10 at night by now, right?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, when they finally get into Mr. Big's thing, it's after midnight, so. Yeah. Yeah, so they go to the Savoy Ballroom to watch dance and jazz.
1: They, right. Uh, And to... To Fleming's credit, he uh, does—he's correct in saying that the likes of Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong, Cab Calloway, Fletcher Henderson, all these people used to—the Savoy Ballroom was their home. Fletcher Henderson was the house orchestra, I think, for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And Bond found many of the girls very beautiful.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But they say we better get out of here. We'll miss out on Small's paradise.
0: They go to—they go to, yeah, man. On 7th, which Correct. is invented. Um, and then they go up to Mr. Big's joint, the Boneyard. The
1: Boneyard, which it costs Leader 20 bucks, which is around 200 in today's dollars to find that out where Mr. Big would be tonight. Small place on Lennox Avenue, quite close to his headquarters. Hottest strip in town, a girl called Gigi Sumatra.
0: Yeah, so they, they go through it, they just basically finish out the chapter bar crawling. Um, they get a call at the boneyard from Mr. Big, and he tells them to set up table Z for them.
1: At the boneyard, and says, hey, lights out at the end of Gigi's act. And he says, yeah. yes, yes, sir, boss, with alacrity. What is alacrity? You know, quick, <laughs> hey,
0: yes, sir, boss. Like, he's like, Whoa. I
1: I love Bond. Uh, Fleming does have a way of ending his chapters that I think is... Is always quite nice. So, the last sentence he says, the other call was to four men who were playing craps in the basement. It was a long call and very detailed. Eggs hey, and Espionage is mixed, edited, and surprisingly produced by Flashback Productions. Music in this episode is by the High Yawlers. Thank you for joining Ian and I in season two as we explore Ian Fleming's Live and Let Die, the second novel in his James Bond series. In the next episode, Bond and Lighter's night turns out hot and sweaty as it comes to an unexpected climax, and Bond is formally introduced to one Mr. Big, all coming up on Eggs and Espionage, the origins of James Bond.
0: God, I work with this, this horror show that is like American reality, like I work with it every year, like, and I still do not know how as a white American to like approach and like deal with it. Like, yeah. Like I'm still not like there with it. And I don't think anyone can be there with it It, because there's so much injustice so long back.
1: It's, it's safe to say from a, from really any standpoint, we are probably not the two best people (laughs) to be discussing the nature of race relations as it pertains to this book or, or really any in America, but we'll we'll do our best to just walk through this chapter as carefully as we can here.
0: But I think I think what that what we have to go back to is like you know everybody is in this like every American is in this thing that is getting right with history, mm-hmm. and we all got to do our part to figure it out and take it forward. And so you know. That's what this is. We're we're looking at the history, the historical reality, and let's let's walk it forward.
1: All right. Hey, if There's someone writes to us and yells at us, at least we know we have a listener, right?
0: Right. <laughs> Such good stuff. <laughs>